from the Bet America Radio Network, this is the Who Do You Like podcast. Who do you like? With tips, angles, and information to help you win at sports betting. Now, here's your host, Scott Shapiro. Hey, sports fans. Welcome back to another edition of the Who Do You Like podcast. A huge week on the sports calendar with the NCAA tournament getting rolling. Wall-to-wall hoops on the horizon. So we won't waste any time getting in this week's discussion with Greg Peterson. But before we do, I wanted to remind new New Jersey players about the great promo we have running now on Bet America. Earn up to a $500 bonus on your initial deposit. Just use the promo code GET500, that's G-E-T-500, when depositing and get 100% back. All right, this week's guest is a man that is absolutely everywhere this time of the year. He is the co-host and producer of That's Gold podcast with Steve Heitner. He is the host of the College Hoops Overtime Betting Pod, as much information as you'll ever want to bet College Hoops. And he is a regular on the Vegas Stats and Information Network. You'd be hard to press to find any busier guy in March than Greg Hoops Peterson. Greg, thanks so much for carving out some time for me. You ready for the big dance, my friend? Oh, I am ready. This is the best time of year. A little bit unfortunate that some of the teams we're not going to see. You have 353 D1 teams, and I like to follow all of them. But with that said, it's such a great time of year with all the tournaments going on. Not just the NCAA tournament, but keep in mind the NIT, CBI, and CIT. Yeah, definitely some NIT matchups I'm looking forward to, and I uh, have a couple teams I'd like to uh, kind of ride on the money line instead of playing in the futures. But that's a topic for a different day. But before... We get in the tournament conversation, Greg. I'm fascinated to hear just a real quick bit about what it's like working with Steve Heitner. For those who don't recognize the name, Steve played Kenny Banya on the greatest show of all time, Seinfeld. Is he as funny, uh, you know, off Seinfeld as we would expect? He's even funnier. He does a terrific job. He's cracking so many jokes. It's so much fun being able to do the podcast with him because my parents all love Seinfeld, obviously. I'm a guy that I'm 25 years old, so I wasn't able to really watch the show live at all, but I've seen so many reruns, and I always love seeing the round teen, oval teen, <laughs> the Armani suit, everything like that, so I absolutely love it. And how did you get in with him? How did that start happen? How, how did you start doing a podcast with him? I was working over at the Vegas Sats and Information Network, and the people over there, over at uh, the podcast company that I work for right now got a tip that, hey, I was doing some great work. They came to me and they said, how would you like to do a podcast with the guy that played Kenny Banya on Seinfeld? And I was just like, I would absolutely love it. They said, you know what, we'll give you a little bit of on-air time as well. And I'm always someone that I like to get my name out there. You know me. I'm not shy about giving my analysis on games and everything like that. And it was all just meant to be in. Now I still do work with the Vegas Sats and Information Network, and I'm able to balance both. So I'm very happy about it. That's awesome. Yeah, you're doing great work on all the pods you're doing. I like to catch them as much as possible, and I definitely hear you on VEASAN a lot. Definitely worth a, a guy worth listening to, especially over the next couple weeks as you are getting into the tournament more and more. All right, Greg, let's dive in. We're going to go through just a couple of the more intriguing matchups in each region, and then I'll get a pick from you for that region overall. Uh, we'll start with the East. 12.15 Eastern time on Thursday, the tourney commences in Des Moines, Iowa with Louisville and Minnesota. Uh, Louisville currently a five and a half point favorite, obviously an interesting narrative here with Richard Pitino taking on his father's old team. How do you see this one shaping out? I do think that Louisville is going to be able to get the win in this one for the older Pitino. It's obviously not coaching there anymore, but 
Minnesota just a wildly inconsistent team from three-point range. We've seen Gabe Kausher shoot right around 40% for the year, and Amir Coffey stepped up in the Big Ten tournament. But with that said, what I really like about Louisville is Jordan Nawara. Guy averaged 17.5 points, a little bit over eight rebounds, does a good job shooting from three. And then Minnesota actually has a top rebounder in this entire NCAA tournament in Jordan Murphy. Does a good job of being able to haul in rebounds for this team. But I just feel like Louisville does a better job with regards to their backcourt, and they're going to be able to roll in this one. Yeah, it makes some sense to me. I had a little bit of a struggle with this one. Louisville takes a lot of threes, don't always make a lot. Um, you don't know what you're going to get, unfortunately, out of coffee. I think when he's on his game, Minnesota is a much better team, obviously, but he's been a little bit up and down. He did play pretty well in the Big Ten tournament, 21 versus Purdue on Friday, 22 versus Penn State on Thursday. Uh, a little bit concerned with Louisville's inability to close games, and they kind of struggled down the stretch. Their only two wins since February 20th were against Notre Dame. But uh, I think Louisville probably advances, but I would be more willing to take the points in this one. Uh, Greg, LSU and Louisville, another early starting game on Thursday. An interesting game, obviously, LSU with the off-the-court issues with Will Wade. They're a seven-point favorite against the Yale team. That's not your typical Ivy League-type team, play with a much higher pace than what we're accustomed to seeing. Uh, who do you like in this spot? I do think that Yale getting the points in regards to the point spread is very interesting because you do have a guy in Oni that is probably going to be playing at the next level. And then I do like the fact that Blake Reynolds averages 11 points, five rebounds. He's a versatile big man that shoots over 40% from three. But I do think that the overall size of LSU is going to win out because you've got four guys with size that are able to do things. Nas Reed and Darius Days are both stretch players that are able to shoot threes. And Nas Reed is actually seven feet tall and he's able to do so. Gavel Bigby-Williams is more of your traditional big man that's able to give this team blocks. And then Emmett Williams does a good job of being able to give this team rebounds. And I think that having Javante Smart back in the lineup is going to allow LSU to win this game by right around six to seven points. So you say take the points, but pick LSU outright in your pools and whatnot. I, my thing with LSU is uh, if the team can keep them off the offensive glass, they're obviously uh, benef- going to benefit from that. Like, Yale pretty good at doing so, although obviously not – with guys like Reed and Bigby Williams. LSU struggles with turnovers. Yale not a team to force many. Uh, Yale lost their only three games to top 80 teams, but they were all on the road. Uh, does that concern you at all in a situation like this, or are you more looking at the way they play towards the end of the year? It's a little bit concerning because you obviously want to see how a team doesn't step up games, but with that said, Yale is a team that that was a long time ago for them, and we have seen the Bulldogs be able to win some games in the NCAA tournament, most notably a couple of years ago when they had Makai Mason when they were able to pull off that 12 over 5 upset on Baylor. Yes, sir. Very, very good points there. All right, overall thoughts on the East region. Obviously, Duke the heavy favorite, Michigan State the clear second choice. If you like anybody else to win this in terms of a futures wager, you are sitting pretty, all, all of them a very solid price. Do you see any way Duke doesn't come out of the East and cut the next down in Washington, D.C.? I do think that it's actually going to be Michigan State. The big thing with Duke is they're the worst three-point shooting team in this entire field. They shoot in the 320s with regards to three-point shooting among the 353 D1 teams. And Zion Williamson, obviously a difference maker for this team. He is sensational, but Duke not very good at the free throw line. If they get into a close game, that's something to watch. I think Mick Ward is one of the few players in the country that can match up with Zion. And then at the point guard spot, you've got Cassius Winston averaging over 7.5 assists per game. Shoots over 40% from three. You throw in there Matt McQuaid, another 40% three-point shooter. And Kenny Goins gives this Michigan State team some great stretchability. 
And with Duke, they don't have a lot of depth. If they get into foul trouble, which I think that Michigan State is going to be able to do a good job of being able to get to the line on them, it could really spell doomsday for this team. Yeah, I'm with you with Michigan State. I think they're one of the few teams in the nation that can match up physically with Duke. It would be great to see some of the big men of Michigan State up against Zion and crew. And uh, yeah, the Duke does have some deficiencies. We did not see a lot of them in the ACC tournament. But like you said, I know they have the most talent. But to me, I like the experience. I'll take Izzo in a big game, although the recency hasn't been pro- he hasn't proved it recently in the tournament. I'll take Izzo against Coach K in a big game like that. So I'm with you, Greg. I think there's a little bit of value taken. Michigan State to win this bracket. Let's move to the South region, Greg, a region that uh, when I looked at it, I couldn't believe how many teams play at a slow tempo. I'm sure you noticed it as well, with the exception of Iowa, maybe a couple other teams, uh, Ole Miss. Most of these teams really like to slow it down, could lead to a lot of close finishes. The first game I want to talk about is a game that's obviously dear to my heart, and you are a Wisconsin resident, not a Badger alum, uh, Oshkosh, I believe, right? UW Oshkosh, the <laughs> national champions. Congratulations on that, by the way. I meant to say that. Um, but Wisconsin-Oregon, this has been an intriguing game to watch from a wagering perspective. It, Wisconsin opened up as a two-and-a-half to three-point favorite, and very quickly Oregon became a one-point favorite. And then now I notice it's back to Wisconsin minus one-and-a-half. Both teams in top 18 in Ken Palm's adjusted defensive efficiency, so points likely to be at a premium. How do you see this one shaping up? Can the Badgers get through? I think that it's going to be very interesting to see how this one goes because, like you said, lowest total out there on the board, and my heart is torn because I used to work for the official radio station of the Oregon Ducks two years ago, and my sister is a UW-Madison alum as well, so I am very torn in regards to my allegiances, and truth be told, I work for a couple of people. I have very vested interest in Oregon, to say the least. With that said, I think that Ethan Happ is going to be the best low post player out there on the floor. Averages 17 points, a little over 10 rebounds. Does a great job of being able to give out nearly five assists as well. He's such a good passing big man. The whole offense flows through him. And with Wisconsin, you've got a bunch of guys that are able to shoot threes. Guys like Brevin Pritzel come off the bench and shoot 40% from three. Khalil Iverson does a good job of being able to stretch a floor. Nate Reavers. And then I think the real difference maker is Brad Davidson and the way that he's able to not just score, but play tenacious defense. We remember the six charges that he took against NC State. So I actually look at the Badgers being able to win this game by, I would say, two or three possessions. I hope you're right. I have my concerns. Ethan Happ, as, as great as his career has been, it's been a little bit of a downswing here over the last eight to ten games. He's start, turned the ball over more, a lot more. I don't know if he's been tired. Obviously, it, it could be that at the free throw shooting, which has been terrible, has gotten to him and, and made, maybe he's focusing too much on that and not on his other game. But I am hopeful in his final tournament here that he can play better and, and kind of carry this team a little. It's interesting that Wisconsin faces Oregon for the third time since 2014. And we didn't even make the tournament last year. So uh, one of the most exciting games I've ever seen live was that 2014 uh, round of 32 game in the Bradley Center. The Badgers trailing by double digits, made a huge run and ended up making it to the final four that year. So uh, almost a rivalry at this point with how much we've played Oregon. I'm just worried, Greg, about the foul shooting. It's been so bad this year. If we have a couple, if we have a couple possession lead, like you suggest down the stretch, can we close the deal on an Oregon team that really believes right now? Let's move to another game that I think might come down to the wire. A bigger point spread, five points. You got the defending champion Villanova Wildcats taking on St. Mary's. This is a 7:20 Eastern time start on Thursday night. 
Another game with two very slow te- tempo teams, Villanova 333rd, St. Mary's 347th. Who do you like here, Greg? Yeah, this has the makings of a turtle race, though. Both these teams shoot quite well from three. You've got Jordan Ford on one end for St. Mary's, averages over 20 points per game, shoots 40% from three. And then you've got two big men that shoot well from three as well for both sides, Malik Fitz for St. Mary's and Eric Pascal for Villanova. I think that the travel of St. Mary's is going to be tough. They have to go from the West Coast to play in Hartford, Connecticut, which that is just going to be a little bit of a tough one for them. I think that Villanova is going to have a very good home court advantage, I guess you could say, for what it's worth in regards to a neutral court. They're going to have the fans behind them in this one. I do look at Villanova being able to pull it off. Jay Wright, such a good coach. And Randy Bennett has done a fantastic job with St. Mary's as well. But I just feel like with all that experience of Villanova, they're going to be able to get by in this one, and I laid the points with the Wildcats. Good point on the home court. Uh, general question, how much do you look at that when it comes to these games? I mean, the travel, obviously, when you're traveling cross-country, teams like Villanova being just a few short hours away from Hartford. I grew up in the Philadelphia area. That's about maybe a three-, four-hour drive at the most. Is that something that you take into account, or is it a case-by-case basis? It is a case-by-case basis, and it's something that you have to consider in that Wisconsin versus Oregon game as well. That game is going to be played out in the state of California, I believe, San Jose. Both know is that the Wisconsin faithful, they travel very, very well, and you've got some of these fan bases that they travel spectacularly, like the Badgers do, and then you've got other fan bases where, eh, not so much. So it's one of those things where you have to take it game by game. You just can't have a one-size-fits-all approach on this. Yeah, I totally agree based on my experiences both watching games and going to them. It was very interesting one year under the Sweet 16. It was Wisconsin, Arizona, San Diego State, and Baylor. And we played Baylor in the first of those games. Most of the people out in Anaheim were Arizona or San Diego State related. Badgers, as you say, always represent a little. I'd say Baylor had maybe 50 people there. It was a very weird atmosphere, so it can create. So you're definitely right that some schools certainly travel better than others, Greg. Uh, Real quick on the Villanova thing, though. One thing, I think this game is going to come down to the wire with the slow pace, but Phil Booth is one of the guys I most want to trust to have the ball in his hands at the end of the game. He showed it in the Big East tournament. He's not afraid to either make the, the big shot or also can drive and dish. Is a Phil Booth a guy that you look at as a guy you want to have the ball at the end of the game as well? Absolutely. This is a guy that stepped up in a national championship game a couple years ago and allowed Villanova to be able to win that game, so... I do think that that's a very good point. And then you've got Colin Gillespie, who was able to make some contributions on that national title run last year. You've got Demir Cosby-Round, who's able to pull in some rebounds. He played a role on that team as well. So I just think that Villanova in general, with having so many guys that have been in these spots before, they're a team that I trust a little bit more than St. Mary's. We agree there. One last game in that region, Cincinnati and Iowa. Cincinnati may be a little bit snubbed with a 7C, but they get to play in Columbus. They are three-and-a-half-point favorites. They're looking to rebound after blowing a huge lead last year in the tournament to Nevada, if you remember that one. Mick Cronin, a coach that's had a lot of regular season success, won the conference tournament this year, hasn't had quite as much recent success in the tournament. Do you trust Cincinnati laying the points in this one against an Iowa team that struggled of late? We are on Cincinnati. Jaron Cumberland does a great job for this team. Shoots over 40% from three. We saw him take over that game against Houston a couple days ago. He is sensational for them. And then Justin Jennifer out there in the backcourt also shoots 40% from three. And it just feels like with Iowa, we know this being guys from Wisconsin, they always play so well at the beginning of the year, and then they just crater. I don't know what it is. Perhaps it's Fran McCaffrey 
being a coach that just rides his guys way too hard because you always see him screaming. He's always being like given the pouty baby look and having his face turn red and everything like that. I think it just wears on guys because we see it every year with Iowa. They're in the top 25 last couple weeks of the year. They just completely come back down to earth. They come into the NCAA tournament limping. And I just don't think that they're going to be able to cover this game against Cincinnati. Iowa just relies a little bit too much on their three-point shooting in Cincinnati. A very good team with regards to their both offensive and defensive efficiency. They don't necessarily guard the arc well, but this Iowa team just looks very shaky at this point. They do. Uh, they do look shaky. You made a great point about Fran McCaffrey's squad. They look like they were a Sweet 16 team to me in the first half of February. They beat Michigan by 15, beat Indiana in assembly by five, beat Northwestern and beat Rutgers on the road. And then things just went started to go poorly. Fran lost his mind a little. Uh, and the biggest concern for me is Iowa, not a very good team on the defensive board. Cincinnati, a great offensive rebounding team. There's, they're very likely to get a lot of second chance opportunities. My only concern is what you mentioned, Greg. Iowa's ability to knock down the three, especially Jordan Bohannon. And Cincinnati, like you said, does not guard behind the arc very well. So I think it brings a little bit of a possibility of an upset. I have to lean Cincy. All right, South Region, Greg, like Duke, a heavy favorite in here. Is Virginia going to get over the hump and Tony Bennett going to get to the uh, Final Four, or do you see it another way? I think this is the year that Virginia is able to get to the Final Four. You've got three guys that are able to shoot it from three. Kyle Guy, DeAndre Hunter, and Ty Jerome. Jerome, one of the best point guards out there in the country. And then you've just got a bunch of good role players. Mamadou Dikite, Jack Silt, Braxton Key. These guys do all a very good job of being able to just know the role, chip in some rebounds, give this team scoring when needed. And then you've got Jay Huff, a nice little combo player for this team as well, as well as Clark, who starts out there in the backcourt. He's able to hit a few shots. This Virginia team is just so well-rounded. They have that tough pack line defense. And Tony Bennett is a great coach. Last year, UMBC just shot the lights out against them. It was one of those once-in-a-lifetime sort of things. And I just don't think that... Virginia is going to be stopped short this year. This seems like a team on a mission. I totally agree with you that we're two for two here. I've been on Virginia for a couple months. I thought there was a little bit of value in the futures market for them to win it all based on that loss to Maryland, Baltimore County all year. Uh, and this is just not the same team. Don't forget DeAndre Hunter was out of that Maryland, Baltimore County game. And they're second in adjusted offense on Ken Palm. They are not the same team that you think of with Tony Bennett. They can score. They can flat out shoot it. Like you said, at one of the best backcourts in the country with Jerome and Guy. I'm 100% on board. I think they have a very favorable draw as well to get to the elite eight i'd be very surprised if they don't get at least that far and if they don't cut the nets down in here at in louisville looking forward to maybe checking out a sweet 16 game with them and hopefully wisconsin we shall see all right let's move to the midwest greg uh, where two blue bloods sit atop the uh, region with north carolina and kentucky a couple interesting games to look at First one of them, 9.40 p.m. on Thursday, Wofford and Seton Hall, the Big East team versus the little guy. Wofford favored two and a half. Can Wofford get the job done in this one, or do you prefer the Hall? I go with Wofford in this spot. They've got four guys that shoot at least 40% from three. Meanwhile, Seton Hall, they have two guys on their whole roster that shoot better than 30% from three. Now, Miles Powell fills it up, 22 and a half points. He does a sensational job of giving this team everything, but... That's their biggest weakness because Seton Hall does not have a single guy that scores half as many points per game as Miles Powell. Meanwhile, for Wofford, you've got Fletcher McGee pouring in 20 points per game. Cameron Johnson is a six foot seven combo player that weighs 250 pounds that shoots nearly 40% from distance. Storm Murphy has an assist to turnover ratio greater than two. 
I think that Wofford is just the more well-rounded team, and they play some pretty solid defense themselves. Yeah, I'm on Wofford as well in this spot. Actually, one of my favorite plays of the first round. I think not only what you mentioned about the Hall not being very good behind the arc, not defending the arc very well, and meeting the best team in terms of offensive efficiency they faced all year. Yes, Wofford, better than Villanova and Marquette even in those categories. The other concern I have with Seton Hall, Greg, is they've been through a lot of emotional games over the last two weeks. Before they played Villanova and Marquette at home uh, to end the regular season, they were squarely on the bubble. They gutted out both of those games, and then they had a couple real uh, real emotional games in the Garden in the Big East Tournament, which they almost won, which was impressive. Like you say, Miles Powell, very tough. But to me, the Hall could be re- looking at a regression spot. I like this Wofford team to get to face Kentucky as well. The other game that's intriguing, I don't hear a lot of people talking about it, but you know, I looked at it and thought it was intriguing. 4 p.m. on Thursday, Kansas, a seven-point favorite versus Northeastern. What kind of opinion do you have on this one, Greg? I don't think that Kansas is able to cover this game, and I would look at Northeastern being able to pull off the outright win. They've got some very good three-point shooting, including a stretch player in Tomas Murphy that comes off the bench, shoots just under 50% from three. This is a team that has some very good guard play. Not necessarily the best team on the glass, and Dedrick Lawson is very good for Kansas, averaging 19 points over 10 rebounds per game, but he's also the team's top three-point shooter. You haven't gotten a lot out of Ubaji. Quentin Grimes has not stepped up. Devon Dodson is a little bit of a hit-or-miss player, and I think that the backcourt of Northeastern, along with their experience, allows them to be able to knock off Kansas and win this game outright. We see that one definitely the same when it comes to plus seven points. Northeastern is the slower-tempo type team that, you, as you said, can really shoot the rock. My one concern is their defense is not real strong. I think Deidre Glossom is going to kill them in the paint. But if Northeastern can knock down enough shots from the outside, they certainly are a live dog in this one. So I'm with you. I, Kansas has that unfair advantage if they were able to win the first two games to be able to play in Kansas City versus North Carolina. Do you think if they somehow get through these games, which I know you're not predicting them to, that they'll be a live dog to beat North Carolina basically at a de facto home game? Or will North Carolina just be way too much? I think that North Carolina is just going to be too much. This is a team that is one of the top in the country when it comes to rebound rate. We've got Kobe White, who's really stepped up towards the back half of the year. Cameron Johnson shoots 45% from three. And then you've got Brandon Robinson coming off the bench and giving them the team some good contributions as well. So I do think that North Carolina is going to be able to advance no matter who they're playing. Yeah, I definitely think so as well. Cameron Johnson, one of the most improved players in the country. I didn't think quite as much. I mean, he obviously was a knockdown shooter, but he's really been an awesome this year. I, I couldn't have been more impressed with how he's moved his game forward. They're absolutely loaded. All right, Greg, last region, the West region. Oh, I'm sorry. Let's let's get a final pick. Is North Carolina your pick to come out of the, uh, out of the Midwest? I actually like Kentucky here. I think that the Wildcats, with Tyler Hero doing all that he does at the free throw line, 94%. Second best free throw shooter out there in all of college basketball among qualified players. And then you've got the likes of Reed Travis and company down low. This will set up a really elite, elite eight matchup, by the way, for lack of a better term, because both these teams played in the elite eight a couple years ago. We all remember the shot that Luke May hit to sink the hopes of Kentucky. Yep. I think Kentucky's able to get revenge in this spot. 
Yeah, that would be a great matchup. I I'm, I would be curious. A, I would be curious if Wofford wins like we expect. I think it would be real interesting. Obviously, Kentucky might be too much for them physically, but I would be neat to see a Wofford-Kentucky game. And then I, I, that Houston team that uh, that Kentucky would have to face also, they don't have quite the size that Kentucky has, but I, they have some heart, and they're as good as – they do a lot of things as well as anyone in the country. So I think Kentucky has a relatively tough road, as does North Carolina. The Midwest is pretty stacked. Um, all right, let's move to the West, Greg, the final region. Uh, the game that I think maybe is considered the most uh, high, highly prolific game, at least in terms of stars, in the first round, 4.30 p.m. on Thursday, the Marquette, uh, Marquette versus Mar- Murray State, Marquette minus four, John ja Morant versus Marcus Howard. You have a red-hot Murray State team coming in versus a Marquette team that started out the year 23-4 and four, but lost five of six, the only win that dominating performance against St. John's in the Big East tournament. How do you see this one? I actually think that Murray State's going to be able to win this game all right. They rank in the top 10 teams in the country with regards to two-point shooting percentage. They're also one of the better teams and being able to guard the three-point arc as well. You mentioned John Morant. He gets loose with the ball. He averages over five turnovers per game, but he's the first player I can remember putting up 20 and 10 in that Ohio Valley Conference like ever. He has been absolutely sensational for this team. And then Marcus Howard, we saw him hampered by a little bit of an injury out there in the Big East Tournament. I think that could spell doomsday. Marquette, a much improved team on defense. But for Murray State, you also have a good secondary guard option in Shaq Buchanan, who averages 14 points per game as well. I think Murray State pulls off the 12-5 upset. Yeah, I, I struggle with this one. I'm still kind of fighting which side I, I prefer here. Probably will avoid it at the windows, if you will. My concern, though, with Marquette, especially with the Hauser brothers, but their team as a whole, they have been really loose with the ball down the stretch, Greg. It's really, you, know, you would think that coming off games with so many turnovers, they'd be a little more cognizant of it. But at this point, it just seems to be who they are. Marquette, obviously, amongst the best three-point shooting teams in the country. To me, it's going to come down to who can p- p- prevent the turnovers and who can force them. The team that has less turnovers at the end of the day is the team I think can come out on top in this one. Another interesting game, Greg, uh, 2 p.m. on Thursday is Florida State versus Vermont, a game where I hear a lot of people on Vermont, especially plus the points. They get to play in Hartford, a home court advantage, if you will, sort of like we talked about with Villanova, maybe even more so uh, being in New England. Do you think Vermont can play with Florida State or will the athleticism of Florida State be too much? This just seems like a classic game in which Florida State is going to be able to win outright. They've got so much good size out there guarding the perimeter. Terrence Mann, guy that shoots over 40% from three. Trent Forrest has an assist-to-turnover ratio of two, and he also generates two steals per game. I think that Vermont can be able to hang within single digits. They've got a guy in Anthony Lamb that pours in 21 points per game, good stretch player, and they've got a trio of brothers in the Duncans that I'll do a little bit of different things for Vermont. You've got one guy that scores, another guy that does a good job of being able to run the offense. This is a good team that really doesn't hurt itself with turnovers. So I do think that Vermont hangs in there, but I think that in the end, Florida State's going to be able to get like a six or seven point win. Okay, so Vermont plus the points, Florida State outright and in pools and such. One thing that I think is worth noting, Vermont, a very, very good free throw shooting team, which should be helpful since we know the Seminoles do like to put their opponent on the line more than the average team. 
Tom played a couple of games against top-tier teams. They played Kansas and Allen Fieldhouse. They lost 84-68 that day, but I'm pretty forgiving. Kansas did go 12 for 19 from three-point land that game. That's not that's somewhat of an outlier, obviously. They also won the bo- on the boards 38-28, a concern that Vermont might be dominated on the glass by Florida State. And then they came to Louisville here at the Yum Center and lost 86-78. And Louisville shot well from three that land and also got to the line 33 times. I think Vermont can hang in there, but like you said, Florida State likely to pull this one off. One more game in the West that's very intriguing to me, 9.57 p.m. on Thursday, Syracuse and Baylor. You have the Bayheim 2-3 zone, and then you have a unique Scott Drew defense, sometimes throwing the 1-3-1 out. Who do you like in this one, Greg? I think that this is going to be an interesting one because you do mention the zone, but with that said, I do have to ride with Syracuse over Baylor in this spot. Baylor has just been a little bit of a banged-up bunch, and then you take a look at Syracuse. You do have that zone defense. I think that Tyus Battle is probably going to be back in this game, even if he's not. We saw Syracuse be able to knock off Pittsburgh in the ACC tournament. They lost and essentially pushed on the closing line against Duke without him as well. And they do have a couple other scores like Elijah Hughes and company. So I do think that Syracuse is going to be able to win, especially with Baylor having Mekhi Mason and King McClure just being banged up. And it's a reason why they lost four straight games and big, uh, to end Big 12 play. Yeah, they did struggle down the stretch. The one thing I'm concerned about with Syracuse versus Baylor in this matchup is the Orangemen's ability to keep Baylor off the, off the offensive boards. Baylor's second in the nation in offensive rebounding, and Cuse with that zone ranks towards the bottom in keeping its opposition off the offensive boards. But Baylor really did not make a lot of threes down the stretch. They had some games where they did, but towards the end of the season, they did not a lot because of the injuries that you bring up, Greg. I think if Baylor can have a good game from downtown, obviously usually a key to beating Syracuse, they could maybe get this done. But I think the odds are on uh, Syracuse getting the job done. Also, Baylor turns the ball over a little too much for me against the Syracuse team. Very good at forcing them. All right, the West to me was one of the trickier uh, brackets to pick and where I came up with one of my, 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 I guess, highest seed to come out of it. Are you on the Zags or do you feel like someone can upset them and get to the Final Four? I think that Gonzaga is going to be facing off against Florida State in the Sweet 16 and that would be a big revenge game for Gonzaga because we all remember they had that game in which Kelly and Tilly was ruled out at the last minute. They wind up losing in the Sweet 16. I think Gonzaga is going to be able to get by. They're going to be able to get to the Final Four. God like what Brandon Clark does down low for this team, along with Rui Hachimura. Hachimura is such a good stretch player. Josh Perkins, a guy that started in a national championship a couple of years ago. And Zach Norvell Jr., a deadly shooter. I think Gonzaga is all the good to be able to get to the Final Four. Now, are you at all concerned against the potential matchup against Michigan or Texas Tech? Kind of not exactly the styles of St. Mary's, obviously, but teams that play at a slower tempo, make likely to make the Bulldogs play that 40 minutes of half-court uh, basketball, which they did not seem too excited to do in that West Coast game, uh, West Coast Conference Tournament Championship, or was that an outlier, the Zags missing all those threes and kind of getting out of their game and maybe not all in on it for whatever reason? It's a little bit of an outlier. I will say I'm more concerned about Texas Tech. I just don't see it from Michigan right now. They lost three times at Michigan State, as we saw, and they just don't have great guard play. So I do think that Texas Tech is going to be the harder matchup because Texas Tech, number one in defensive efficiency, Gonzaga, number one in offensive efficiency. But I still think that Gonzaga, with all that they have down low, would be able to win that game against Texas Tech. I just don't see how Tariq Owens matches up with Brandon Clark. 
No, it's definitely a, a solid concern. I am going to roll with Texas Tech uh, as my Final Four team for uh, basically the reason I said. I think that Gonzaga, if they're forced to play a 40-minute game, are a much different team. If they can get out and run, they're as good as anybody other than maybe North Carolina. But to me, Texas Tech should be able to slow them down. And I, you just got to love Jared Culver at the end of games. Much like I spoke of Phil Booth, obviously a lot of other players in the country that we didn't mention. But Jared Culver, to me, a guy I want to have the ball in a close game at the end. Uh, even against a team as good as Gonzaga. All right, Greg, so final four teams, you have Gonzaga, Michigan State, uh, Virginia, and Kentucky. How do you see that shaping up when we get to uh, Minneapolis? I think that we're going to be able to get a Virginia versus Gonzaga national championship. I know it's a little bit chalky, but I think that this Virginia team is on a mission after having that sour taste in their mouth, losing to Maryland, Baltimore County last year. And I think that Gonzaga has the most sheer talent of any team in the country with Killian Tilly back, a guy that averaged 12.9 points and shot 48% from three as a 6'10 stretch player. I think that gives Gonzaga very much all the pieces that they need to be able to win a very tough game in the Final Four, and I think that it sets up for one of the best title matches you could ever hope for with two one-seeds. And who would you like in, the, in, in, a, in a Virginia-Gonzaga matchup? Obviously, a contrast of styles. I told myself last year I would never pick Virginia to win the national <laughs> And here I am impressed by Virginia, and I'm taking them to win the whole thing. I think that their trio out there in the backcourt, and just the way that they've got all their guys firing on all cylinders and all playing their role so well, I think that Virginia is able to get it done. And Tony Bennett, just a heck of a coach. He really is, and I'm pulling for all, all wagers and, and pools and predictions aside – Tony Bennett, obviously a Wisconsin guy as well for, for both of us, a little bit of a sentimental story if he could win it, but he's a guy that's getting unfair, uh, unfair criticism. In my opinion, obviously you don't win in the tournament. You're going to get it. We saw it happen though with Jay right before he won it. I saw it with Bo Ryan a number of years, you know, you're, you can't win in the tournament until you do is the way I've kind of seen it. And I think Tony Bennett is due to have his day. I think they definitely get to the final four and they get that matchup against North Carolina, which to me, they are, been very that's been a very positive matchup for Virginia even though North Carolina might have more talent and I might like them against other teams better I think Virginia can get the best of them so I also have Virginia winning it all this year uh, which is like you said a very very surprising so it looks like we agreed on a lot here Greg but most importantly it, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on and I know you get real busy this time of year and you're doing a great job I wish you uh, the best of luck over the next couple of weeks real quick any NIT prediction for for champion? NIT is going to be a little bit tougher to predict. I would say look at more of the long shot teams just because we've seen in the past couple of years that the teams that are seated one, two, three, they often have a lot of te- guys that are sitting out. The motivation isn't there. We saw Penn State win the NIT as a four seed last year. I remember Georgia Tech versus TCU. Those were a pair of teams seated four seed or lower. So I would look at the underdogs in this tournament i don't really have futures on any specific teams i'm playing this thing game by game but i am very much looking at underdogs in this tournament yeah very fair i'm looking at xavier do you think xavier has a shot i feel like they're a team that took a little while to get get it going this year with a couple grad transfers coming in losing so much talent and obviously losing chris mack but i think they have some of the best talent in this and they really started to play a lot better do you give them a look I certainly do. They are a team that's ascending, and they've got great low post play as well with guys like Zach Hankins and Najee Marshall and company. So it is something that I do look at. I think Xavier, to your point, 
can make a pretty good run. All right, Greg. Well, once again, thank you so much for uh, joining me. I, I wish you all the best, and hopefully we can have you back uh, sometime during baseball season. Um, thanks to everyone for joining us this week on the Who Do You Like podcast. We'll be back next week with longtime Las Vegas handicapper and host of the Las Vegas Sports Line on ESPN in Vegas, Dave Koken. Until then, good luck in the tourney. Have a blast. This has been the Who Do You Like podcast. For more information and to place your bets, go to betamerica.com. 